Gracious God, you've promised that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire, and it will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So I have here uh, my cell phone. And before this cell phone, like your cell phone, before this went to market, it existed as what we call a prototype. Now a prototype is a model on which other cell phones will be based. And before you can buy that phone or any other cell phone, the prototype must be subjected to repeated testing. For example, the cell phone will be scratch tested with different degrees of hardness to see what does it take to scratch the screen. It'll be water tested. It'll be dunked into a meter and a half of water for up to an hour to see if it'll leak. It'll be rolled around in a tumbler. It'll be dropped from various heights to see what does it take to break this thing and render it non-functioning. And all of this is to answer one question. Can the product stand up to the abuse which the product will receive? The same is true for automobiles. Every make and model of car began as a prototype. And every prototype automobile is subject to a variety of tests, including front-end collision, side impact collision, telephone pole collision, rollover test, and so on and so on. And, and again, the question to answer is, can the product stand up to the use and to the abuse that it will receive? Now, I draw your attention to our gospel reading for this morning, verses 1 and 2 from Luke chapter 4, page 6 in your bulletin. We read, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and notice this, was led by the Spirit, this is God's doing, into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. We take that to mean this is 40 days worth of temptation, but that's not all. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. So that when Jesus is at his weakest possible point, physically at least, he is still being subjected to severe testing. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the temptation or the testing of Jesus by the devil in the wilderness. And in each gospel, it's interesting to note where the testing of Jesus is placed. It's placed immediately after his baptism and immediately before the beginning of his public ministry. Before God sends his son out into the world to minister to you and to me. The father subjects his son to severe tests. Why? Why? 
Well, cell phones are tested rigorously. Automobiles are tested rigorously. Why? Because we depend on them. Why should our Savior be any different? We depend on Jesus far more than we depend upon any man-made product. No man-made product can die for your sins. No man-made product can release you from bondage to sin or raise you from the grave. No man-made product can satisfy all of your physical, emotional, and spiritual needs in this life and the life to come. Only Jesus can do that. Only God's tested prototype can do that. Roman numeral one, page seven of your bulletin. A prototype is, quote, and this is from the dictionary, an original model on which something is patterned or an individual. An individual exhibiting the essential features of a later type. That is to say, people can be prototypes. And Jesus, we know from Scripture, is the second Adam. He is the prototype for a renewed humanity. Letter A. He is the firstborn among many brothers. St. Paul writes, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And letter B, Paul writes that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He is the first resurrected human being. He is the first and so far the only human being to live a resurrection life. Roman numeral two. God's prototype proves perfect. Letter A, the devil suggests that sonship, sonship is a privilege to be exploited. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. In other words, you are privileged above all other human beings. Take advantage of that. Politicians do things like that. They utilize their position to enrich themselves, to, to advance themselves. Oligarchs do that. Oligarchs do not deprive themselves of what they need. Why should you? You're more privileged than all of them. But point number one, Jesus will do no miracles for himself. You ever notice that in the Bible? He does no miracles for himself. Because if he did, he could not be the Savior. He could not be the Savior. You remember when he hung on the cross? What did the Pharisees and the chief priests, what did they say mocking him? If you are the Messiah, come down from the cross, and then we'll believe in you. But if he's the Messiah, he can't come down from the cross. He must accomplish our redemption precisely there by remaining on the cross. And then at his arrest, you know, Peter draws his sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest. And what does Jesus say? He says, put your sword away. Don't you know, I could appeal to my father and call down 12 legions of angels to prevent my arrest. But then how would the scripture be fulfilled? 
How? Point number two. Jesus will trust God to provide and he will seek first God's kingdom. He will seek first God's kingdom. And letter B, the devil offers Jesus authority and glory if, and only if, Jesus will bow down and worship him rather than God. But point number one, Christ's authority and glory will come only through suffering and death. Only through suffering and death. That will be his glorification. Not a political kingdom that the devil offers. What glory is there in that after so long a time? Every kingdom crumbles to dust except his. Remember what Jesus said in John 12. He said, now is the Son of Man glorified. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus will, as we've said many times, he will accomplish far more by dying than by living. And then point number two, and note this well, all false worship is conditional. It's conditional. That's, that's verse seven. The devil says, if you worship me, then all this glory and authority will be yours. Notice, it's an if-then kind of a thing. You know, if you do something for me, then I will do something for you. But note well, the devil's a liar. I wouldn't trust him to keep his word. But more importantly, the arrangement's all wrong because the true worship of God is just the opposite. The true worship of, of God is that God delivers you first. He brings salvation to you first, and only then do you think of worshiping him as a response. That's true worship. False worship is if you, then I. Letter C. The devil offers protection from death. Test the Lord. Cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. He'll rescue you. Such an appeal means that you doubt that he will rescue you, so you've got to prove him at it. But God, point number one, provides protection through death, not from death. We all have an expiration date, right? I mean, unless the Lord returns first, we're not going to be delivered from death, but we will be delivered through it as Jesus was. That's why the psalmist writes, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't avoid it, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. And then number two, to test the Lord is unbelief. It's unbelief. Uh, to ask the Lord for more signs means that you already don't believe the signs he's given. The death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord, that's the greatest sign. If that does not produce faith, nothing will. In Roman numeral three, we've been reborn in the image of God's obedient son. God's obedient son. We have a new obedient nature within us. Uh, yes, the sinful nature is still there, always disobeying, 
but we, we have Christ living in us. St. Paul wrote that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That means Jesus is the prototype. We have been reborn into his image. His image is being restored in you and in me. We lost it in the fall. It's been disfigured in the fall, but it's being restored in Christ. We are remade in his image according to the pattern that is Jesus. That's why Paul writes, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, Jesus, the prototype, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Letter A, Paul writes that we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Christ now lives in us, and his, his desire to forgive others now lives in us. We, ha- we share that desire. His desire to see others come to faith lives in us. We want to see others come to faith as well. We, we share his desires for the world. And letter B, Ezekiel, the Old Testament bears witness to this. God says, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. We have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus living in us as a result of our baptism into Christ. When you study baptism in the New Testament, you see repeatedly the linkage with the Holy Spirit. That's our our promise, that the Spirit lives in us. And let her see, not only does Christ live in us, but we live in Christ. We live in Christ. And we've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. Uh, the, The preposition in the Greek that is used by John and by Paul to describe are being transferred out of the world which is under God's condemnation and being transferred into Christ in which there's no condemnation. That little word into makes all the difference. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe into him, into Jesus, you are relocated from the world into the one who is righteous himself, that is Jesus. And not only that, but Paul says that when you were baptized, You were baptized into Christ Jesus. You're part of him now. We are members of the body of Christ. We are extensions of Jesus. That means as he is holy, we are holy because we're in the one who is holy. It means that as he is righteous, we are now declared righteous because we have been transferred into the righteous one, Jesus And it means that as he is loved by the Father, you and I are loved by the Father because we've been relocated into the one who is the beloved, that is Christ Jesus, our Savior. Now, remember I said at the beginning that three Gospels record the testing of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they all located in exactly the same place, immediately after his baptism and immediately before his public ministry. Why is that? Because every prototype must be tested before it can go into service. Every prototype must be severely tested to see if it can stand up to the use and to the abuse that it was designed for. And so it is with our Lord Jesus. 
the severe tests that he is subject to in our gospel lesson for today reveal that he is ready to go into public ministry. He is ready now to go into service. He's been tested and found worthy, and he's able, he is able to stand up to the use and to the abuse that he will surely receive. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus, amen.